Welcome to the Grace World Podcast. I'm Dan Hewitt. And I'm Becky, his wife. This is episode 41, and today I have another special visitor again. Coming back is Larry McKnight. Hey, Larry. Hey, Dan. Larry is the pastor of Joyland Church. Yep. There, you can reach them at joylandlife.com. And he's been going through a whole lot of things at his church on perichoresis, which you may have heard that word yep. here a few times. But we also kind of started heading in f- last night talking about the idea of worldview, meta narrative, and some other things of how does that really affect our mind? Because all of us come up and grew up. I mean, tell us how you grew up. I mean, as far as things you feel like you carried as baggage. Uh, well, let's see. So uh, when I was super young, uh, uh, a guy that witnessed our family gave us uh, a series of books that I later found out were associated with some group like Seventh-day Adventist or something like that. It was called Greatest Story Ever Told. Uh-huh. But it laid out the story of the gospel in story form. And uh, uh, it, it conformed pretty much, I guess, to what I encountered a few years later uh, with the Baptist church that I was, Southern Baptist church mm-hmm. that I was in. And we're all here. I want to just interject. As we mentioned denominations, our goal is never to denigrate, but to rather say we have a history. Oh, absolutely. Which is often a very rich history, but we learn, and I think... I think it's great that people can pick stuff up from here and there, bring those together, and recognize what it is I need. Yeah, to do. absolutely. So I just want to throw that in because I know. Yeah, no, I, no, no. I yeah, we're not. Say, tra- we're not trying to run anybody down. I say things too, and I got to make sure I well, uh, put that in. Matter there. of fact, there's a there's a very fundamental scripture that's a part of my my thinking discipline, and it's uh, it's in the love chapter. Mm-hmm. And people are probably going to say, "Oh, he's just going to say that you have to love people, so that's why you can't talk bad about him." Well, you, you should <laughs> love people, and you shouldn't talk bad right. about him. But no, it's toward the end when Paul is talking about, and he makes a very uh, definitive statement. He says, we know in part. Yeah. We know in part. We prophesy in part. And so I live in an intentional, conscious reality, an intentional, conscious recognition, rather, of that verse. And so that means that as completely as I'm trying to think about something, mm-hmm. I realize, according to what Paul made a flat declaration of, that I only know in part about that thing. Yeah. So as I apply that back to what I just said about my original roots in Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist also, that scripture applies applied to us when I was a Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we knew in part. So I like asking myself all the time, and then I like asking my pastoral buddies when we talk, so how comfortable are you with the part you don't know? <laughs> and it brings up a really interesting deal mm-hmm. in that, there's only like two or three ways to think about it. You can either think that the part you don't know isn't important. I'm very uncomfortable, to be honest. So that's why I have to always dig because well, it's like, yeah, I, do exactly. not, I don't like the loose ends. Right, right. Around, so. But but I think if yeah. when, you, when you say, okay, so I, I just I'm going to operate as if the part I don't know isn't right. very important. That's kind of arrogant, and yeah. kind of, that's kind of dangerous because you could be stepping on a landmine and you don't even know it. You right. Know? Well, that reminds me of something I told my son. I said I was talking about blind spots that we all have blind spots. Absolutely. And he goes, "Well, what's your blind spot?" And I said, "I don't know. It's my blind uh, spot." Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so it uh, it either doesn't know or doesn't matter, and I, I think that is sort of self centered and a little bit arrogant. Or, and this is the way I live, the part that I don't know creates a very real reason for me to fellowship with you. 
mm-hmm. because you probably, under the organization and revelation of the Holy Spirit, know stuff I don't know. Yeah. And we could write that off to just life experience and stuff, but what if it's fundamental in the design of the, of the yeah. body of Christ? That was you one know, of my humorous things of my best friend in high school, uh, after in college is he always used to joke between the two of us we knew everything yeah at least that would <laughs> would allow that you only know but in I part but it only a, takes one other right. brother or sister to know but more. i think yeah there's obviously a greater yeah. truth than that but that that's the root is we need other people in here and we do need to learn stuff. absolutely and if we're not learning new things that's probably a warning sign if we We've don't ever. Yeah, or, if we don't, I mean, it doesn't mean you should be having your fundamental theology should not be changing every week. No, no. But if you're not getting sharpened up here and there and pushed into some things that are a little uncomfortable and being challenged, mm-hmm. that's not a good place yeah, to be. Yeah, the balance in scripture for me on that is you know, you don't want to be somebody who's ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the right. truth. But the revelation of that knowledge, it's pretty vast. I mean, when you think about it, God's fundamental communication challenge is to, is to convey infinite truth to finite people. Right. Meaning boundless truth to people who are stuck in various boundaries at various times throughout their life. And that situation even changes for us. I mean, I mm-hmm. know more now, and I've got more questions now than I had 20 years ago or 10 mm-hmm. years ago. That's not bad. That's, yeah. That's, and there's a point where you have to just juggle some of that discomfort and say, God will... He'll come and help reveal what I need to know next, which is sometimes kind of scary. But, you know, I think that's maybe breaks us free of arrogance of believing I I got it all together. And, you know, there's a balance on both sides or a boundary here where, uh, you know, I always talk about guys that are say, well, you should be open minded all the time. And it's like, well, there's a time you got to, you know, break the call of play and break the huddle and go with something and right. say, yeah, I think I have a reasonable understanding and I can head out on this. But there's a point where you have to not hold things too tightly. And there's a place where you need to know, what are some real fundamentals? Like I always come back to, am I fundamentally going to come back to this better be about Jesus? Right. right. You know, because if we start heading away from that, then it's, um, I'm saying, I think we're in dangerous waters. <laughs> right. You know, in, in the, the previous topic that you mentioned about perichoresis, uh, perichoresis, uh, for those who may not be familiar with the term, is what the early church took about four or 500 years to come up with and finally got rooted in our theology about 700 years in. It was always there, but it was mm-hmm. not a, a There wasn't a single word, word for it. Yeah, yeah they did. There was, they used the verb perichore and stuff. But uh, it's, it's not just an expression of the three-in-one nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a, a word about the dynamics of that relationship, the love, the exchange, mm-hmm. the uh, mutual union and penetration, but the distinction of the individual persons. And uh, that is something that, you know, your, your illustration about about uh, breaking the huddle, I'm assuming you were talking a football-type huddle. could have been yeah, anything. But I guess it would be rugby or something. Could, yeah, but uh, if it is a football-type huddle, you got to keep in mind that, that you can make the absolute very best decisions on the very best data that you have, the very best intelligence that you have, <laughs> but you still meet together at halftime yeah. and review those to see if maybe there was something you missed. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Staying open to that halftime yeah. review. Right. And I, I agree with that. So 
you use the word meta narrative, and that's kind of a that's a pretty modern word, isn't it? I it mean, it is. It's okay. a word that came uh, out of philosophy, and it did come in a modern time out of philosophy. Don't get scared yet. Hang with us. We're not going to go. It'll too be deep. real short. Yeah. Uh, but basically, what it means is it means the the series of assumptions that have taken a story form that you rely on without even really knowing it. Yeah so that you can see things and stuff. So like there are some uh, contemporary ones that, that we looked at um, capitalism versus communism, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, what social structure produces the best society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that and you can look at that studying individual data, studying individual history, but most everybody has sort of a story in their subconscious yeah. that, they rely on, and so you don't have to study something fresh and new every time you do it. The good part of that is we live in the basis of shorthand like that and, and on conceptual references. The bad part is if you if you have an entrenched meta narrative that isn't really true or right. that has untrue elements in it, it can cause you to be blind to things that otherwise you'd be willing and able to see and explore. Right, so let's, I wanna, let's kinda go through a couple of words here just to help sharpen up the term. Um, a lot of people would recognize the idea of a worldview, mm-hmm. but a worldview to differ from a, from a meta narrative is really more of a, it's an out in the open. Usually it's structured. You write out like, well, this is what we believe and so forth. And that's your worldview. Right. And so it's usually out in the open and you openly declare, this is my worldview. Correct. The meta narrative, and we'll just say, I don't necessarily know that this is the correct definition, but for for comparison purposes, what we're saying is it can tend to reside more deeply in you, in your subconscious or even your unconscious, and it can color your decisions in ways you don't even recognize that it's coloring them Mm -hmm. or changing them. It's the source of sometimes your employee. And here's the thing. I want to be real honest. We all have bias. We all have a false understanding of some things, Mm -hmm. not everything, but hopefully not a lot, but there are biases and prejudices we bring into that based on this meta narrative, whether it's stuff we were trained in, taught explicitly, or just our experiential things, they color how we process the world we see in our Absolutely. reactions to people. Yeah. And they're often kind of the the gut response to stuff is often driven by that more than what we say is our worldview or what we say we believe. Absolutely. So so like one of the I, one easy way I think to, to get in your mind the influence of a meta narrative is if you if you look at a person who is an atheist and a naturalist, mm-hmm. and then you look at a person who is a theist, perhaps they're a Christian, or they could yeah. be another thing like Buddhist or whatever, one of the fundamental assumptions that tells the story in which all of those people's expectations and uh, reside and all of their questions are going to come from, an atheist and a naturalist doesn't believe God exists. Yeah. Doesn't believe that there is a, a conscious personal entity. Uh, maybe doesn't even believe there is a deistic kind of totally separate one. So when they're looking at a social problem or cultural problem or historic problem, God just won't factor into that. 
right. unless it's it's mm-hmm. unless it's reduced down to the level of like a human psychological psychosis or something. And then if if a person is a theist and believes that there's a God out there and God has certain characteristics, they're going to look at that same problem and they are going to be able to consider the mm-hmm. possibility that God is in there. And it'll never enter their mind that it's just the consequence of two random chemical reactions. Yeah. So the, the meta narrative is the thing that sits behind everything else. It's the story right. upon which everything rests. Yeah. So let's, well, like an obvious one, like for instance, with the, the materialistic sense of one that you just mentioned is, you know, if I see change, the naturalist will say, oh, we see evolution. Right. The one who is a creationist or I, whatever you, know, you want to say op- opposite is would say, oh, I see design and variety and Correct. so forth. Yeah. And that's yeah. just intrinsic to their viewpoint. But because of what we usually cover in here, let's get to something more specific, okay. which is even in our denominations, our churches and our upbringings, we have a meta narrative or some views that come in. And it's really, what do we really think about God? Right. And that's what colors, uh, gosh, almost everything in our theology and how we ask, because how we act and how we respond to people is, who, I mean, actually, Jesus asked a question, right? Who do you say I am? Yeah. Yeah. Okay? yeah. So that's a question that if we can't come up with the right answer, then we're going to come up with a lot of other answers that are incorrect. And the reason that I brought it up to our folks at Joyland uh, as a meta narrative is we've been we've been examining recently our language for the gospel and and is the way we mm-hmm. tell the story uh, of the gospel is the way we talk about Jesus uh, the best way and then how do you judge whether it's the best way you know so you could ask the question well is there a better way to say it and it led us to understand that some of the things that we we think about and some of the things that we operate on paint a picture of God that makes him look and act one way in our expectations in our mind. And maybe those are accurate and maybe they aren't. Right. So the place isn't just to try to change your thinking. One of the points I made recently is that the beliefs that are based on the, on the sort of subconscious or the underlying or the background meta narrative story and the assumptions that it's built of, you can't really change your beliefs if you don't change the meta narrative. Right, because you're you're prejudiced, and I'm going to use prejudice because I know people think it sound like it's just a racial thing or something. Prejudice literally means to prejudge. Right, we have judged beforehand, and there are all sorts of things that we judge from how people dress to the things that they say to the subtleties of their theology or their beliefs, and we how we judge what right. they what they say and do uh, as to whether it's appropriate or helpful. Right, or and so those are, I mean. Are they good? No. But are they there in all of us? Yeah, they are to some degree, and hopefully we are eradicating them mostly, And but they tend to be filters that, mm-hmm. of how we see things. So you had last night a couple of things. Actually, had two whole slides on them. What is, uh, and I want to throw a couple of them that are contrasting views of, of what our view of God is, what our meta-narrative is. So I'm going to posit two meta narratives. One of them is a what we call the first one. It's a God is at a distance that there's hostility or enmity between God and man mm-hmm. that has to be dealt with on a regular basis. Right. And the other is, I guess we'll call it from the 
perichoresis standpoint, which is there is a relationship that we are called into and are part of in the Christian life. We are active participants in that. Correct. And so a couple of, I'll just pick a few that sound like fun, but here, like, I'm going to start with righteousness, okay? From the first perspective, righteousness is God declaring someone right before him. So it's a declarative, legal, judicial thing. Right. Whereas in the, we'll call it the second version. The relational. The relational version, righteousness is the one who is right, and he makes all things right in himself. So basically it says, you know, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. How do we get that? In Christ. In Christ. We enter, we don't become righteous as a performance or a behavior. We become righteous because we enter into the one who is righteous. So here are a couple other nuances about that one that came to my mind. Uh, the idea of, of our right righteousness, and in both of these instances, um, Well, no, in the first instance, the instance where there's a gap between us and God and God is out there kind of distant and God is not necessarily being thought of in relational terms as my father. He's Mm -hmm. more the more the God idea out there that because it's impossible for us to behave and think perfectly, Mm -hmm. the only way we can get righteousness is if it is imputed to us or it's, it's like reckoned to us is one of the biblical words. And it doesn't do anything about the distance between us. It doesn't do anything about my inability to actually perform righteously, but there's, it's like a legal, uh, get out of jail free card or something that's given to us. The other leans into the relationship at the beginning and it assumes uh, that that Jesus as righteous himself in relationship to his Father and the Spirit is somehow doing something to draw us into him and that being drawn close to him is transforming us from actual uh, failure to be righteous into an ability to be righteous, yeah. but it's a relational consequence. And the other is, a, is like a judicial gift. Yeah. Now right. that the implications of that are pretty huge and how we interpret scripture is pretty huge. So for instance, there's a scripture that says, I, I think it's in second Corinthians five. He made him, he being God, the father, let's say, if we interpret that way, which I think is legitimate, mm-hmm. he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf or for us, mm-hmm. being the translation, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mm-hmm. So if you take that first view where it's just purely an imported thing, then our being involved uh, with God as righteous, becoming that is also an imputed deal. Yeah. It doesn't really rely on our behavior at all. If you look at it in the second way, he, he made him who knew no sin, being Jesus, to become sin for us so that we might become, become becomes the important word in there. It means mm-hmm. that now we are linked to Jesus and in a process of actually being transformed ourselves. Yeah. So what, So then rather than having an issue where we're trying to get righteous or become righteous, we live out of the righteousness, which is intrinsically who we now are in, in relationship Christ, to in Jesus. Christ. It's a, yeah. It's a positional thing of being in him because yeah. there is none who is righteous. And, and it's, it's even more than a positional thing. It's a relational thing of being in it. In other okay. words, 
just like mm-hmm. there's a relationship between uh, a young husband and wife, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, are they one when they get married biblically? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, but are they in the same level of agreement? Are they in the same level of mutually influencing one another after their first week? I just did a wedding last week, uh-huh. you know, and so this young couple be coming back after honeymoon. Do I expect if they have a good marriage? And if that relationship of being one with one another is going to have its way, that when we talk to them in a year from now or in 10 years from now, that the influence they have on one another is going to create new levels of that manifest oneness. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And that's where I think it is. So uh, one, God can still stay at a distance. Our position in Christ can be just one where stuff was handed off to us. So we're in position to go to heaven. The second is that we really are probably going to be different people see the world differently, yeah. see people around us differently, see God differently. Yeah, and actually I'm going to connect one to another contrasting meta-narrative would be eternal life, mm. right? Yeah. Sometime in the distance one, we think of eternal life, and often we see this in uh, the presentation of the gospel, is it's about getting something in the future. You know, we're trying to get thrown over the threshold of heaven, and that's what matters, and it's kind of like, well, we'll suck it up now, in this miserable existence on earth, but at least I know that in the future there will be heaven. Correct. Correct. You know, and I and I I realize when I'm saying these things, I it's am being a little I'm yeah. I'm oversimplifying and I'm probably being a little heavy on the straw man there. Well and, but, and, and let me bring up one quick point about why thinking about meta narrative is important not only as a mm-hmm. negative thing but as a positive thing. Yeah. Because it 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 does make sense that there are certain things in our life that we can and should assign to sort of shorthand concepts. Otherwise, you have to talk about something and think about it absolutely fresh every time. Right. So this is like one of those, you know. Uh, what That's is why t- big words are valuable. <laughs> they are, they are. But so so, so the, the, the thing you just mentioned about eternal life, um, what it behooves us to do, thinking about it in terms of, of the shorthand that meta-narrative is and the assumptions that meta-narrative brings and, and is if our concept of eternal life is about a destination that has certain attributes to it, like yeah. heaven and uh, shininess or joy or peace. Those are all not necessarily bad things. Mm-hmm. But is that what the scripture, or more particularly, is that what Jesus said eternal life was? Right, and we're not voting against that of saying, no, no we want to be in I'm heaven. All for, we all, I want to be in heaven, we, yeah. We, we like that, but it's an insufficient, it's not a rich enough descriptor of it. It's it's not rich enough in the area of relationship. Right. John seventeen three, Jesus said, this is eternal life. And it's when he's praying to his father. So mm-hmm. I'm going to add the word father in there just to, to make uh, sure the relational component. But Jesus is just saying father. And he yeah. he's three verses into this prayer. He said, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God. So you that he's speaking about is his father. Mm-hmm. You, the only true God, and Jesus whom you've sent. Yeah. So the difference between heaven being assumed in our meta narrative as a destination right. i mean uh, eternal life being assumed yeah. as a destination called heaven where a lot of good things are yep. and eternal life being knowing our father and knowing jesus right. whom he sent those really are two different things yeah and it, it most you know most of your listeners i think would be able to think back on the last let's say five sermons they've heard about about uh, heaven or about mm-hmm. going to heaven, yeah. or about particularly about eternal life, is the emphasis on heaven or is the emphasis on having a real 
heartfelt experiential relationship knowing their father their heavenly father Mm -hmm. and knowing jesus and unfortunately i know in in most of my experience in the past when people were talking about eternal life they were the destination was the big image yeah not the relationship yeah i think that's my experience with many people (coughs) is yeah now it's rough and someday it'll all be better when we get to heaven and God is saying, I want to invite you into something today. Right. In fact, I've heard in, even in the worst sense, I've, somebody was like, yeah, I just as soon die, so then at least I can go to heaven. And it's like you're missing, there's something you're missing today. Today, yeah, yeah. Which is the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. They want to make today an amazing thing. Now, does that mean we have no problems ever? I, I presume you as a pastor have no problems now that you understand Yeah, this. absolutely. Now that I know that, my <laughs> life is just one smooth downhill run like in the Olympics. No. Uh, but, but, but see, this, this right. is... So what I would suggest uh, in light of this conversation mm-hmm. is that the reason when somebody talks about eternal life, an image of heaven, whatever it is for you, mm-hmm. pops into your head as opposed to you somehow being a little kid sitting on father's lap or you sitting by the, a stream side with Jesus sitting there next to you or fellowshipping is because of the meta narrative about heaven, the assumptions mm-hmm. about heaven, the assumptions about eternal life being, the, being equated um, in that meta narrative. And so to look at those isn't to necessarily condemn them. It's just to be conscious that they're exerting an amazing influence. So when somebody says eternal life, you're thinking about a destination instead of a yeah. relationship. Yeah. And I think that's, it's just powerful. It's such a totally different thing because I think we can be carry such a weight about the present and all our hope is in the future as opposed to saying my hope, which actually, you know, I remember somebody once saying that means your, your great hope is the power of death is your greatest hope. Right. If I could just die, then I'll finally see what God has for me. And it's like, no, our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. And that starts today. And so let's, you know, when I was going to look at some more of these, but I thought, you know, there's a better thing we should talk about. Okay. How do we retrain our narrative, our meta narrative? Because there's all these biases, right? What are the questions we need to ask? How do we need to talk to God? What do we need to say or ask to try to, let's call it cleanse or fix the junk Right. That is prejudicing us towards a bad viewpoint or a bad understanding or an unhealthy understanding. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know that 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 today we're going to have a definitive answer on that um, because it's it's why we're exploring this concept. Why I'm if you subscribe it. for twelve ninety nine, we can give you the <laughs> answer. You the, the complete course on reshaping your meta narrative. Yeah, right. that's just a joke. Like we don't that. have that course yet. That sounds good. Reshaping your meta narrative. That's a good thing. You know, if a person, let's go back to one of your words. Let's go okay. back to the word prejudice. Okay. Uh, and again, not all meta narratives and not all aspects of any meta narrative is is necessarily negative. But right. but the the the. Both the power and the danger of a meta narrative is that it lurks in the background of your thought and exerts its influence without you necessarily being conscious of it. Right. It just happens. Right. So it would be the, uh, uh, in other words, this is a little bit of a parallel. If you uh, trained in martial arts and self defense mm-hmm. skills, just trained and trained and trained and trained, the object of that training, in a sense, in a physical sense and in a motor skill sense, is to get that in the background so you don't have to think about it right. when you're in a situation where you need it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what a meta narrative does. But 
if you are in a situation where the meta narrative produces an inferior thought, like the one we just discussed about, yeah, uh, if we're talking eternal life, are you thinking a, de- a place versus a relationship? Because I think mm-hmm. everybody, if they are conscious and think about it, would say, "Wow, uh, the core of eternal life is knowing God, not being in one place versus mm-hmm. another." And so, if that's my thought. Why does that thought pop into my head without me thinking about it? Mm-hmm. So the first step to the idea of retraining negative aspects of the meta narrative, and, and, and uh, there, there might be one more qualification that would help. Meta means overall or overarching, means big. Yeah. Okay. And the narrative is a story. Mm-hmm. So what is the story that sort of undergirds or overarches everything mm-hmm. you think, and? The first step is realizing that it exists, realizing that there is a story yeah. that you've put together through your life experiences, teaching, things people in authority said to you, experiences, fears, all that kind of thing. So for, step one is realizing that when you have a reaction to something eh, or somebody teaches something that, that you go, oh, I don't know if that's true, or somebody teaches something and you just lap it up without even thinking about it, like, oh, yeah, that it's probably because there's there's a component of that in your meta narrative. First mm-hmm. step is to be conscious of the fact that that exists. Right. Then the second is to bring it up from behind the scenes to the front and start saying, "Okay, so what is the story I believe about eternal life?" Okay, so that's a good first question there is is what do I what do I allegedly believe? Yes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Cuz this is what I say I believe. Like, what do I think about God? What do I think about eternal life? What do I allegedly think about these things? Okay, so keep going. Okay, so then when you get that up, go ahead and feel at liberty to talk about it uh, or think about it or maybe get a friend and, and, mm-hmm. and say, hey, um, I, was in, I was in church the other day and uh, somebody mentioned something about eternal life and, and I noticed that I thought immediately of, of heaven. I thought of it mm-hmm. as streets of gold, a big city with gates and angels running yeah. around which is not a wrong answer no it's not a wrong answer but yeah. it, it came out later that when jesus said this is eternal life he talked about a relationship mm-hmm. help me let's have a conversation over the the story behind my thought yeah okay so that's what we've done getting getting honest with yourself is part of it because that romans 12 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind right so i actually have to get some new thoughts in my head in order to see transformation about who i am Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. see i'm trying to think who is it so i can attribute this quote correctly i think it i think it was graham cook who i heard say it first but he said if uh if you're having bad thoughts, that's Graham. Is yes, it? I can, I can tell where you're going on that. Get one. another thought. Get you know? a new thought. Get a new thought. Which is yeah, ties yeah. it to the word metanoia. Yeah, which is the word repentance. And that's another interesting. Yeah. That's another interesting thing. Uh, one of the words that we could have talked about is is uh, a lot of a lot of ways in our meta narrative that metanoia, repentance, is thought about mm-hmm. is feeling bad for. Right. Doing bad things, feeling right. sorry for how doing how repentant that. you are is how right. f- bad you feel. But the very nature of the word metanoia suggests that the, the concept of repentance is to change your thinking. Right. Which, of course, 
you are going to change your thinking about thought. stuff you feel bad about. So it's not that there's no truth in there, yeah. but but the one idea of just feeling sorry and, and right. having tears and boogers or something is probably an inferior thought to doing the hard work of thinking about it differently. Right, and I, I, I like to say it's, it's a difference of goal. The goal of metanoia is not feeling bad. That may be a that may be a path along the way. Mm -hmm. That may be a byproduct of repentance. But the goal is to walk with God once again to be in the dance of perichoresis in in walking in that relationship. And so that is the goal. So whenever we start focusing on repentance and think of it in terms of how much emotion I have, we're not focusing on the goal. We're focusing on what might be the path. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be the path. Mm-hmm. So, or part of so it. yeah. Uh, you know, step one would be to be conscious that there is okay. a story back there that that allows you to draw a conclusion or to establish a goal without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the, the the heaven versus the relational one, even just the process of thinking that through. Yeah, you know? and you know, I think God, it's safe. You talked about asking a friend or whatever, just thinking it through. It's okay to ask God, hey, what am I thinking wrong or what do I need? Because I think sometimes we can get fearful that God will just give us a, a list of all the things wrong with us. And he's pretty good at just saying, let's talk about this one thing, you know, and we'll deal with this for now. And because yeah. he, he prioritizes or knows what's the thing that you should probably be thinking about. So that that leads maybe to another, another thought uh, that can uncover a deficient element of our meta narrative. Why do we hesitate to think that we can go to God with a, a question that we don't already have an answer for? That's a bad meta narrative. <laughs> it's a bad meta narrative, and, and 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 I would suggest that one of the elements in in a, in our meta narrative that works against us is that we think that God is pleased with us or that we're in right standing of Him because we believe all the right things. Right, but. And he chuckles at that. He absolutely <laughs> chuckles at that. That's cute. Is it important to believe uh, the right thing? Yes. If you, yeah, it's very important. Nobody chooses to believe the wrong things. Right. But is it possible that we think the reason we're in right standing with God is because we believe the right doctrine, we believe the right thing about right. anything? Yeah. And if so, that needs to be exposed, and we need to sit down with the Lord, and we need to repent. Yeah. I don't think we need to burst into tears over it. I think we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I thought your love for me was conditioned on me believing everything correctly. Yeah. Because I can't believe everything correctly. I don't know everything. Right. Sometimes God just needs to send the clue bird in to come visit. And I personally do believe that that is a very, very yeah. common assumption. It's a part of our meta narrative yeah. in the Western Western society and Western church. So here's, I just thought of another thing that's, that's a heads up of that your thinking is wrong figure out the things in life that really irritate you and make you mad with other people. There's probably something underneath that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially why you, you react to if those you put people that in a church context. If, if, if those things make you think, boy, I can't have fellowship with that person mm-hmm. or uh, if it sends you into a judgment kind of situation right. uh, where that anger turns into a, where they're stupid or they're kind of, yeah, that, that kind of situation. Cause why? Uh, I mean, does their different thought really affect you all that much? Yeah. No, not really. So figure out where you are irritated by people. Triggers. Trigger. Yeah. Things what are trigger the triggers? You. Yeah. 
and say, is the trigger that there's actually a problem with that person? And there may be, mm-hmm. but why does it affect me so deeply? And that's something I need to get to. And then, you know, in that, when you start asking those kind of questions, then I personally think the Holy Spirit's going to be pretty active in bringing certain scripture to mind. You know, Jesus said there in John 16 that uh, he's going to remind you of all that I've said and so on and so forth. So we're called to 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 love those that despitefully use us, mm-hmm. to do good for those that despitefully use us, to pour burning coals on their head. That actually is a metaphor of something good, giving them fire, not trying yeah. to judge them or something. Uh, and, and one of the experiences that I hope comes out of this reexamination of meta narrative and more consciousness uh, toward it is that it's easier for the Holy Spirit to lead us out of our own blind spots. You started the conversation by your, Do I have your, a blind your spot? son saying, so uh, w- w- what are your blind yeah. spots? And I don't know. That's the point. Well, don't you want to know what your blind spots right. are? I mean, wouldn't it be better if, especially if that blind spot was something where something could come flying at you and hurt you? Yeah. Yeah, I got a, I bought this 2010 Camaro and it has the poorest excuse for the back passenger window and <laughs> the first year I can't tell you how many times I almost hit other cars changing yeah. lanes because yeah. I had a blind spot and there's things in life we're kind of almost bumping into stuff because we just aren't seeing it well we, we bought a little Subaru Impreza and, and almost immediately took off on a trip last year in it and I did the same thing again because it's sitting really low looking back so one of the ways I addressed that uh, that negative element in the my assumption as I was driving that mm-hmm. car is I bought one of those little uh, uh, bubble mirror things to put uh-huh. on the thing so I could have a, a different reference point. That's what looking at our meta narrative does. Get a does. new view. Yeah. Gives you Get a new view, a new reference view. point, a new way to look at the things you don't see. Right. And here's an encouragement as we go through here. It can sound like, oh, God's going to do surgery on me. He's going to beat me up if I start talking about dealing with the issues and stuff. And it's there's a point where, well, let's put it to physical health. You know, I know a lot of people, especially men more than women, think if I never go to the doctor and I never go to the hospital, then I'm probably not going to be sick. Yeah. You know, cancer's not growing because I never had a cancer test, you know, and there's, I won't even go there on that one. But we kind of think if I can ignore stuff and all the symptoms, I'm okay and I'm healthy. Right. And I'll be better if I just don't deal with it. And there's things in life that are, you know, emotional, spiritual, whatever. You don't realize what the cost is. And what God wants to do is going to make you actually happier. Mm-hmm. You're going to enjoy life more. You're going to have a better relationship with him and other people. You'll be less irritated with the idiots of the world yeah. <laughs> or, or the people and the things that are going around you because he's giving you an entirely different perspective on life. Yeah. And yeah. so it's an exciting thing. This isn't shouldn't be a, oh my gosh, what if God does surgery on me and right. does all this scary no, I stuff? Think, I think the, uh, you know, I, I could also see people saying, well, wow, if I look at the assumptions in my in my meta narrative, like you guys are talking about it, then that's just going to uh, un, unsettle everything. It's going to yeah. throw everything up in the air. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, the first thing you mentioned, I think, if I remember correctly, in our conversation, is one of the components of that is what's the nature of righteousness? Is it something that's purely forensic, purely legal, purely imputed to us, but doesn't really work its way into our thinking and our behavior? Or is it something that is progressively being uh, causing us to be conformed to the righteousness that is Jesus mm-hmm. because we're in relationship with him? Um, that makes for a better life. Yeah. 
being really changed makes for a better life. Right. And I think examining the prejudices, I like the way, that word is useful for thinking about this, examining the prejudices, exposing them, not necessarily to feel bad about it, but to truly change your mind about them, opens up life to be better, to see the truth more clearly. Right. You know, Jesus said that, that the truth has the capacity to set us free. Mm-hmm. The danger of meta narratives, the negative danger of meta narratives, is that they have the chance to blind us to the truth because right. we've already checked that element off the list and we're not looking for right. growth there anymore. And I think as we start to get this meta narrative right, we also will see people different. We start to begin to see people as God sees them. And so we'll have a lot less threats in our life, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I, I see what God sees, and that's not a problem. No, it's not. It's and not. he also gives me the information I need to deal with the problems when there are problem people. Yeah. You know. How much time do we have left on this? Not much. Okay, there's you can one, probably go five minutes because then you need to you have to, you have a, a an appointment to go to. So I, I do have, have to head out. But, but there is one more point that I just like would just to seed into the listeners. Sure. Um, and then you can just wrap us up, figure oh, out how okay. to how to close, figure this out. This. So here's here's so. that one important point. It's inevitable that we live with the shorthand of assumptions behind us, the meta narrative. Right. Words, otherwise, you'd have to just examine everything as if it were brand new every time. Right. So it's not totally negative. There's a reason a doctor says a, a distal femoral fracture and doesn't say, well, this guy has a break in its leg. It's the down towards the end, closer to mm-hmm. the knee. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's yeah, like exactly. there's, there's a reason they so say that. So there's a reason for all this. Uh, and you just mentioned one of the important things that could come from it is that we could begin to see people differently because the prejudices that we have, in other words, when they give us that one look, we attach a whole bunch of stuff from our narrative mm-hmm. to what that look means. And it impacts us because of the non-health that's in us. Because yeah, of exactly, the ma- exactly. So we're not fully When healthy. in reality, they may just have stepped on a pebble and, right. and it manifests yeah. in that okay, look so on their face. Okay, so keep going. The other important relationship, besides the ones with the people around us, is the ones of who we think God is, how we mm-hmm. see God. And to me, one of the most destructive, potentially destructive parts of false elements, false assumptions in our meta narrative, is that it makes God seem like he's different than he really is. Mm. Because again, what's eternal life? It's to know him. Yeah. To know him as he is, to experience him. Uh, in that same passage of scripture that I alluded to about us knowing in part, uh, Paul concludes that that growth in that area in the future is going to give us an opportunity to know as we're known. I think that's the whole key to a relationship. If you're going to take time to have a relationship with the living God, you ought to know him increasingly better. The meta narrative, there are elements of it. So, for instance, uh, there's a really common little element of meta narrative. This could be a little controversial and kind of chicken to me throwing it in right at the end where we can't talk oh, about it. Oh, Larry, what are you doing but, here? But the, uh, a common assumption in the West is because of the nature of God's holiness and his righteousness and all this stuff that he cannot let sin go unpunished mm-hmm. at even any given instance. And so the consequence of thinking about that makes a picture of God or paints a picture of God that if I, for whatever reason, intentionally or or otherwise, mm-hmm. if I screw up and do something stupid or say something stupid or think something stupid, it has a tendency to create shame 
right. and to create a, a kind of anxiety that, oh, I've got to fix this before I can go back to God. Yeah. Now, the truth of the matter is, in, in, the, in the, what to me is one of the quintessential expressions of how God relates to us is the new covenant, mm-hmm. and it says, I'm going to have mercy on your transgressions, yeah. and your, your lawless deeds or your sins I'm not going to remember anymore. Right. So there's no reason except the negative assumption and the, and the subconscious influence of that meta-narrative that God's too holy to look upon sin, that when you sin, you hesitate to go to God yeah. and say, Father, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's, a, that's the kind of negative influence the meta-narrative can have. All right. Well, that's excellent. I actually agree with all that. So uh, that's not controversial in my book. So <laughs> actually, literally, it's not controversial yeah. in my book. Yeah, that that's, that's literally <laughs> so true. Grace, that's grace, kind grace. That's kind of one of the core tenets in there. But yeah. So I think there's, yeah, the lesson to be learned here, I think there's a, there's a, cyc- there's a cycle, cyclical thing where if you have a health, the healthier your view is of God, the healthier you're going to view other people Mm -hmm. and the healthier you're going to be able to come back and grow in that relationship with God. Right. And the more we have an unhealthy view of God, distance and anger and separation, all these things, the more we treat other people that way. Right. Right. And we view them other that way. And the more we become isolated, angry, religious people. Right. Right. And so it's like, Pick the uh, pick the first one, and you know I think I think maybe one of the concluding thoughts that mm-hmm. we've been talking about sum up the whole time is if you know that if you know that you're laboring under some kind of false notion, mm-hmm. and it's causing you emotional distress or it causes you to slip into judgment or frustration or something, it might be a false notion in your meta narrative, right? That if you could take a step back and not try to just solve it with brute force by beating your head against the wall, but Lord. What is it in this in the overall story, the foundational story, mm-hmm. that I think about you and about people that's causing me to be triggered by this? I bet the Holy Spirit will show you. All right. Well, that's excellent. We're going to close it out there. So if you want to have questions, you can send them through podcast at grace.world. Uh, go visit our website there at grace.world and subscribe. Call us at 833-85-GRACE. You can visit Larry's church online at joylandlife.com. And they actually have remote. You can zoom in on all their meetings, and there's a whole schedule of all that. And I think you got links to your personal stuff in there somewhere. Yeah, there is. is. I've got a personal blog and a few other things. All right, and that's all there at that website. Joylandlife.com. Joylandlife.com. This was fun. Thanks for for coming here, and we're glad to have you all here. Thanks again for coming. Bum 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 bum